Well, I don't want to speak for the entire team, but man, am I pumped for basically an off-season podcast. Have we got a lot of content to cover this week on the OHL podcast? And a good program director once told me that content is king. So here we go. Let's get the important stuff out of the way. That guy over there is Dan Mahar. You'll find him on Twitter, at Dan Mahar. My name is Mike Farwell on Twitter, at Farwell underscore OHL. Listen, as we head into our off-off season and take a break for the summer, if you haven't liked or subscribed to this podcast yet, what the hell is the matter with you? Would you mind doing that for us? Make it our summer present, okay? Make It's our gift to you, because when we come back in the fall, it's going to be right there for you. Give us a review, uh, a rating, anything you can do. Tell a friend about the OHL podcast as we dive into a content-rich off-season episode. Ahead of the draft, we'll get to that, but Dan, let's start with uh, the coaching carousel, a couple of openings now, uh, a couple more openings. Well, Sudbury filled theirs quickly. Kitchener still waiting because they promised they were going to hire in the offseason. The Windsor Spitfires now also looking for a head coach as Mark Savard returns to the National Hockey League, had been with St. Louis as an assistant, now to Calgary where he once played. Yeah, not a shock, really. I mean, you have a guy with all kinds of NHL ties, a little bit of experience in that league, a lot of contacts, comes down, cuts his teeth a little bit as a head coach and junior in a, in a fairly big market, does an extremely good job with Windsor, uh, with two deep runs in two years, and then, of course, you're back on radar for NHL. So phone probably rang a few times for Mr. Savard, I'm guessing. Back-to-back first-place finishes for the Spits under Mark Savard. He wins 88 of the 136 games he's coaching. So 88, 35, 8, and 5. Not a bad record at all. That works out, by my math anyway, to a 647 winning percentage. We'll talk more about that in a moment, though. Uh, But one thing you know about Mark Savard, too, is... It's all about the offense. I'm not taking away from the other side of the ice, but if you want a power play to work really well, put Mark Savard in charge of it and just look at the numbers from the spits the last couple of seasons. Well, coach what you know, I guess, right? Uh, I Mark guess. Savard was a, a talented <laughs> offensive player. He could run a lot of power plays himself. And I think, you know, that's, that's your strength. Run with it. And uh, obviously it worked out well in the regular season and, and some deep playoff runs too. I know it got tripped up a little bit this year against Kitchener and maybe the all offense broke down on them a little bit. Uh, but yeah, coach what you know, I suppose. And that, that's what got him there. And in, in a, an assistant role in the NHL, I'm sure that's what they'll have him tap to, to help with the, the Flames. Along with those first place seedings in the Western Conference for Mark Savard, that OHL championship appearance as well, of course, losing in seven games to the Hamilton Bulldogs a season ago. The other coaching change, but it was filled quickly. And I, I almost have to wonder, Dan, if this one was preordained. I, I think that we all kind of knew that Derek McKenzie coming home to Sudbury, of course, where he played, that's where the family's roots are. But it, it was not going to be a long stay back in the Nickel City. However, I'm not sure anybody thought it would be this short, just 50 games. And by my math, 224 days. Derek McKenzie is the head coach of the Sudbury Wolves. He's into the National Hockey League now with his old friend, Andrew Burnett. Credit to Jeff Merrick. When Burnett was hired in Nashville, Merrick, back in May, wondered aloud via Twitter, if Derek McKenzie would be joining his buddy. Indeed, that's happening. And Derek's dad, Ken, resumes the title of head coach in Sudbury. 
Yeah, you know, Mike, on the whole concept, I have some mixed feelings. I think no one was shocked, obviously, with Derek McKenzie, the ties to Burnett. Burnett gets the job. Not shocked that uh, that McKenzie followed him. And, and obviously, full credit to Derek McKenzie as a coach, getting a shot. I, I guess my mixed emotions just come in on this, this carousel of bringing your buddies with you. Um, not it can work out but I think too often it's a little bit closed-minded and I'd love to see these teams expand their searches I'm not just referencing this one it's great for Derek McKenzie that he's joining Burnett but just in general too often uh, I think hockey people have their their small sphere of friends and they follow them around so I'd like to you, you just wonder for those teams sometimes are they casting the net wide enough to to get the right people in but in this case it's great for the OHL grads well yes it is but the other thing I'll say about this is and look I'm the last guy that wants to begrudge anybody their ambition and their opportunity to take that next step in their career. But I just have to wonder if, because this was such a short window, and again, maybe it was preordained, like we figured at some point it would happen and and Ken McKenzie would come back in and coach the Sudbury Wolves when his son eventually left. But I want to emphasize that eventually piece. Again, not to take away anybody's opportunity to pursue the highest possible position in their chosen career. But do you, do you think about the impact on the Sudbury Wolves as an organization and the young men that you were a coach of for 50 games this past season? I, 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 I'm probably being selfish in that regard, but I think it's a consideration. Would be for me. Oh, it has to be. Yeah, it absolutely has to be. And I get things happen. Circumstances change sometimes quickly and maybe opportunities come to you that you weren't necessarily expecting. So yeah, don't always begrudge someone taking the next step, but yeah, you would like to think when you commit to a junior hockey program and those kids that are in your program that maybe your designs are to be there longer than than the uh, 52 games that Derek McKenzie committed to the Sudbury Wolves. And and we've seen that in some other cities as well. Um, we talked about the opening in Kitchener right now. They've had a lot of head coaches there in the last 10 years. We was eight in the last 10 years. Um, and stability in the organization is both a recruiting tool and a winning tool, really, if you can get the right system in there the right staff uh, you build a bit of a program and a bit of a culture so if you're constantly changing there's constantly an adapt adaptation period where you're wondering what's the culture now what's the message and so yeah I'm, I'm just not sure it's always doing right by your kids to have change but sometimes it's just uh, unavoidable you know you just got me thinking about another thing so I said I'd come back to the winning percentage thing because I was confused by this and you just said 52 games for Derek McKenzie which is the number I counted too but the Sudbury Wolves news release said 50 he got a two-game suspension yeah. didn't he for not controlling the bench so okay because a player left to fight late but here's the thing so let's this should be easy math now we're dealing with 55 games okay and Derek McKenzie's record as head coach in Sudbury is 23 20 four and three. So four OT and three shootout losses. So to me, that's 23 and 27, isn't it? 23 wins against 27 losses. So 23 wins out of 50 games is easy. That's a 460 winning percentage. But the Sudbury Wolves news release claimed it was a 530 winning percentage. So do those single points get counted, weighted differently? And I don't know, but if they do, they shouldn't be. So somebody's math is either wrong or they, they give some level of credit for the overtime and shootout losses, which I don't think should be the case. A loss is a loss, but I, I don't know. It's the new math, Farwell. So like <laughs> you, you, 
you can co-opt it so everything looks it's i remember when the nhl did away with ties and it had the shootouts and everything suddenly every team was 500 or better which i don't know i took i wasn't a mathematician by any stretch as you know but i i graduated from high school math and I'm pretty sure not everyone can be 500 or better. So you're playing with the math a little there, but yeah, a loss is a loss is a loss. Okay. So I'm going to stick to that and I'm going to stick at the winning percentage being 460 for Derek McKenzie while in Sudbury, but they'll graduate him via the news release with a winning percentage of 530. I don't know how they got there. Frankly, I don't care because I refuse to acknowledge the single points being anywhere near a win. I don't care how many single points you get. A loss is a loss. Did you win at the end of the day? No, then Sorry for your luck. <laughs> okay. Uh, sorry for the Flint Firebirds luck or or not. I think they uh, got good value out of Riley Patterson, who they drafted. He was committed, it sounded like, back in the fall to Michigan State, not going there now, and instead will join the Barry Colts. He's already been signed. Two seconds, a third, two fourths, and a sixth. So what do we got there? Six picks from Barry back to Flint for Riley Patterson, what do you make of the deal for the Colts? Well, yeah, and the, the six picks you just rhymed off are all relatively impact picks, right? I mean, um, the sixth being the lowest, and then the sixth round in the OHL draft, you still have a pretty good chance of getting a player. So a, a fairly hefty price tag. And I know it kind of ties into the season. Riley Patterson put up this year with a lot of offensive production. And like you said, decommitted from the NCAA. Uh, so clearly on a lot of radar. Um for his talent. So I think the price you're paying there suggests that you're expecting a top line guy in time. If I'm the Ontario hockey league, I'm wearing this as a feather in my development cap, obviously a guy that has decommitted essentially from the NCAA and wants to showcase his skills in the Ontario hockey league suggests to me that he thinks the OHL is the best place for him to do that. Yeah. And it's the age old debate, right? You have everyone has discussed that for years is the NCAA, the, if, if, you maybe have to work a little bit on your skill game, physical development. You get more time in the gym, less, less games in the NCAA. You think you're maybe a little bit of a late bloomer. You want to get perhaps the education. <laughs> I list that last on purpose, but um, in, in the OHL, you get a lot of games, a lot of scouts eyes on you. Uh, there's no real chance of being red shirted as you're in the NCAA and not playing a whole lot. So it's, it's the age-old debate, which one's better? And uh, the OHL tends to be a little bit quicker path if you think you're there. Uh, if you're not sure you're going to be there and you don't want to fall off the radar, maybe the NCAA. But uh, uh, you could probably dig out an awful lot of data to try and make the argument one way or the other. But obviously, the OHL has to be really happy to win yet another recruitment war. The Barry Colts uh, made some noise this past season, maybe not as much as they would have liked, but it looks to me like they're already on the fast track back up to the upper echelons of the Eastern Conference. I also have a strong suspicion that they're not done just yet, not necessarily in the trade department, but I would think in the days ahead, you'll hear of another impact name coming to the Barry Colts. So keep your ears peeled for that as well, and uh, we'll see what happens. But I, I like this deal for both teams, by the way. You mentioned those impact level of picks uh flint's got nothing to hang its uh, head about for getting six picks of of that caliber back in exchange for patterson yeah basically found money right i mean if it, it kind of works for both teams if you can parlay that pick who you weren't sure was ever going to report to you into six picks back i mean your odds of hitting on on multiple of those is pretty high so 
So yeah, it's kind of a win-win. I mean, obviously we'll see, wait and see how Patterson fares and Barry, but I think there's a pretty good chance based on his track record so far that he's going to be an impact OHLer. So like you said, kind of win-win there. Let's stay with the Eastern Conference. And this one came as a surprise, Dan. Vinny Rohr uh, opting out of his 19-year-old season in the Ontario Hockey League and instead going back to play in Switzerland, where he had played previously. He's Austrian-born, but he will play for the Zurich Lions, so going to play pro. And I say surprising because I thought Vinny Rohr was a pretty nice piece in the Ontario Hockey League for the Ottawa 67s. Yeah, this one's a, a peculiar one because usually once you have a, a an import pick that's committed to your team, been here for two seasons, got his 19-year-old season, that's when you expect big things from him. Uh, so you kind of wonder what changed. I know uh, with Ottawa, it's probably going to take a little bit of a step back this year, depending on uh, on the step forward some of the younger players take. But I understand Roar had a couple close connections, friends he wanted to play with in Zurich, and playing the pro game, maybe get a little used to the the men uh, that play in that league and playing that physical game. But I also, there was an under uh, a little bit of a nuance to that, that I understand as well. Whereas as an OHL draft pick uh, of the Montreal Canadians in the third round, he was going to have to sign this summer for them to retain his rights by signing in Zurich that gets extended to 2026. So it could be in consultation with Montreal Canadians who are saying, look, we're not sure about you yet. We'd like you to continue your development here before we have to make a decision on you. And it's kind of best for both of us if you do this. So I'm guessing there were some conversations that led to that as well, but a bit of a peculiar decision because you don't often see that. Uh, and that's, it's a player that just feels like he's outgrown junior. That's a really interesting point and probably way better than mine. 97 points in 118 regular season games for Roar. But what I was wondering, Dan, and I acknowledge that this gets into slightly more grassy knoll territory, but Roar was on the receiving end of a pretty nasty body check. There were some questions about the, you know, how clean it was. We talked about it way back during the season when it happened it just looked like one of those plays no ill intent but roar comes out with a pretty significant injury and misses time and i just asked myself the question of you know does going back to play in europe alleviate some of those concerns for a kid that suffered a pretty serious injury this past year yeah and then the hit he was injured on was a bit of a freak thing almost his own doing kind of leaping into that hit um from what I understand, recovered pretty quickly for, for the severity of the injury. So I'm not sure how much that factor, factored in, but you got to also remember he was an 18 year old kid playing across the pond from his family. So those considerations come into play too, where, you know, you get a mom and a dad seeing that happen when their son's thousands of kilometers away. And they might say, you know, might be nice to have him clo- a little closer to home for a few reasons next year. So I'm sure all of those things factored in. I like your contra- uh, contractual considerations better than my theory. It's just something that had popped into my head. Either way, this is a, a loss for the Ottawa 67s for sure. But if there's an organization that we know can recover from such things, it's James Boyd and crew up there in Ottawa who are just doing a terrific job. Three regular season titles in the past four years. They're doing a very good job with the program there in the nation's capital. Something we touched on, I think it was just last week, maybe the week prior, either way, is that the Ontario Hockey League, and Canadian Hockey League really, is a stepping stone to that next level. For coaches, we've already talked about it already on this episode with Mark Savard and, and Derek McKenzie going back to the National Hockey League. We see it for general managers. Hello, Kyle Dubas, who's now with his second NHL team after having been with the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. I could go on and on. The reason I bring it up, we talked about 
Hendricks Haynes, who was the video coach with the Kitchener Rangers, going to join the Calgary Flames. He and uh, Mark Savard can exchange old war stories from the Windsor-Kitchener days. But now we've got another person, individual, I didn't, gentleman, let's call him a gentleman, from the Kitchener Rangers uh, front office, Dominic Hennig, the uh, director of communications, moves up to the San Diego Gulls of the American Hockey League, the affiliate of the Anaheim Ducks. Yeah, and in a team services role, and for the untrained or unfamiliar with that role, that's actually a pretty critical role, role at the pro level, uh, kind of the jack of all trades that provides literally provides services to everyone affiliated with the team, players, front office staff, visiting teams, visiting media, uh, kind of does everything. And from what I understand, I mean, you knew Dom better than I do, obviously, but in Kitchener, I understand he had a terrific reputation for for going all out for everyone and doing those things. And I know that at the pro level, they need stars like that, that, that do all those things and understand the business. And it actually is a bit of a recruiting tool too, believe it or not. When players are talking about things like free agency and whatnot, I know the team services piece always comes up. It's like, oh, we've got great people in team services. They take care of you. They, you know, just even when you're traded or signed here, they're going to look after your travel and hotels, like all those little pieces that just make lives easier for those around them. So congratulations to uh, to Dominic Hennig for that move. That's uh, That's a big job. You nailed it right there, Dan. And before I talk a little bit more about Dom, who I've known for a lot of years in this league, even prior to his arrival in Kitchener, just because San Diego is the destination, Aaron Cooney, who had called games for the Erie Otters and more than 500 of them in the OHL, went to the Gulls. I think it was just for one season, could have been two, but I think just one as the play-by-play guy and then leapt into the National Hockey League that one or two seasons later with the LA Kings in a communications role. So not on the mic, but working for the National Hockey League team. So back to Dominic Hennig, even before he came to Kitchener, he was working as the director of communications and broadcast in Flint. And I don't know that I've ever seen somebody pull off the roles that Dom did with such ease and and the multiple roles. So he was a standalone TV broadcaster without a broadcast partner did intermissions, did all the interviews, et cetera, for the broadcast of the Flint Firebirds game while acting as the media and communications liaison. So when I got there as a member of visiting media, Dom made sure that I was looked after, had everything I needed. The scouts and other media that were there had everything they needed. And then he would broadcast this game. Like it was, it was pretty incredible. The amount of work that he did even during a game. And then not to say anything about all the things that were prepared ahead of time, bring them into Kitchener. And you talked about those team services and Dom's attention to detail. I have never been. And remember, I'm just the radio broadcaster here. I have never been so spoiled and or pampered on the road with a hockey club than I was this past year with Dom looking after literally things I wouldn't even think needed to be looked after. He just put stuff in my hand. Here's your key for this. Here's your reservation for that. Like it was It was something else. And this guy did not miss one beat. So I knew when he came to Kitchener that he wasn't long for the Ontario Hockey League or even the Kitchener Rangers. One season is less time than I thought he would spend. Hello, Derek McKenzie reference. But still, uh, full marks to the kid for making his leap to the next level. He's only 31 years of age. And I promise you this, Dominic Hennig will be a name in team services somewhere in the National Hockey League in the not-too-distant future, for sure. 
Yeah. And, and like you said, that attention to details is so critical. I mean, they could get me doing that job and I'd have players booked in the wrong city because I forgot to click the right tab on the hotel. So, so yeah. And, and you may remember this year, Dominic Hennick, I can't remember whether it was uh, Rick Doyle or Greg Sloan on the night's broadcast, but one of them was stuck in traffic. So who steps in to call play by play for the first period? Dom Hennick. He just seems to be one of those guys that steps in where needed and figures it out without anyone having to tell him. And that's what you need at the pro level. So congratulations to him. Quite the Swiss army knife. I will tell you that the day that happened where Greg Sloan was stuck in a snowstorm and couldn't make it on time for the broadcast in London, I offered to do the London broadcast, but they quickly told me to shut up and go back to radio and Kitchener. So they, I know my place in London and they know my place in London as well. Um, just real quick, kind of connected to that with Dom because he would be the guy that sends out the releases from the Kitchener Rangers and fans around the league would have learned about their home openers for their teams uh, on Monday of this week. And as this episode drops on Tuesday, I suspect you will have the full Ontario Hockey League schedule in front of you by now. So I won't get into all of that. Look for your favorite teams and your favorite matchups. What I wanted to highlight, though, is in Kitchener, hello, 7 o'clock starts on Fridays, baby. It's about damn time. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I think a lot of people were lobbying that for a long time. And uh, I would imagine the majority of people are happier to get their evenings ended a little earlier. so we'll, we'll see how that goes, but they were one of the few remaining stragglers at 7.30. You still see in, in various leagues, you still see the odd 8 o'clock start time, and I'm just, come on, 8 o'clock? We all have bedtimes. <laughs> well, again, this is completely selfish on my part, but Friday nights sometimes were the worst, because not only do I know I'm just starting a broadcast of a game, but I've got a post-game show coming up, because for every home game, I do one of those, and we'd be starting the first period after the, you know, laser light show, the anthem, what, whoever was honored before the game, whatever organization is there to be recognized. And the first period's already in the books in London. I'm looking at the out-of-town scores and there's 20 minutes already gone. They're starting the second. So I'm excited for this. I'm excited for this. Okay, uh, let's turn our attention uh, to the Junior B loop because there are some significant stories happening in the greater Ontario Junior Hockey League, not the least of which is with the London Nationals where team owner Paul Dwart has been suspended for two years for allegedly putting a bounty on the head of a player with the Kamoka Kings a season ago. Yeah, I think uh, first thing they should do is go down to his DVD collection and confiscate Slapshot because he's a little too much Reg Dunlop in his uh, in his game. But joking aside, that's pretty pretty ridiculous this day and age that that a grown adult would think it's okay to put a bounty on a, on a teenage hockey player. So I'm not sure there's much else I can say there other than uh, good on the league for ferreting that out. Good on whoever came forward and made mention of this, knowing it was wrong. Someone did the right thing. Someone had a conscience there and, and they've, they've rectified it, but uh, you got to give your head a shake when you hear these stories. It is 100% wrong. You're absolutely right with bringing it out into the open and assessing a penalty a two-year suspension is not a small thing so to make it very clear that this sort of thing is not tolerated should not be tolerated and we'll leave it at that but I have to add one thing because I'm just going to be that guy for a second the alleged bounty was a hundred bucks I mean (laughs) I'm sorry but even for a teenager in this day and age with the cost of living come on you got to put a 
what, 500? I, anyway, uh, would a bounty like that even work? Are you going to go out of your way to target a player on the other team for a measly hundred bucks? I don't know. That's a junior B bounty, isn't it? Like, I, come on, come on. Like, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. I, you got to wonder who's look, who around the room is looking at that bounty and going to, going to carry out that order. But yeah, come on, hundred dollars. Like, doesn't inflation at least make it a five, 500, like you said? I got to think something else on that, but not to, not to be too, you know, um, make, make a lot of jokes around something that is very serious. I'm glad the league cracked down on it the way that it did. So, good on them the other thing in the greater ontario junior hockey league and this has got connections to the ontario hockey league because darren dobler owner of the niagara ice dogs is now the former owner of the brantford bandits and a collection of seven guys from our neck of the woods dan in the region of waterloo have gotten together to purchase the bandits from mr dobler Rumor has it in, in and around the half million dollar mark as a price tag. Uh, and one of the more intriguing things to me is perhaps with an eye to at some point relocate the team to Kitchener, where the Dutchmen, of course, used to play. They became the Air Centennials in the Junior B League as the Centennials graduated from Junior C. But also, if they come to Kitchener, I know Kitchener and the Waterloo Siskins always existed side by each, but the Siskins have rebranded as KW and oh boy, oh boy. Anyway, the bandits have been sold. They're committed another year to play in Brantford, but who knows what happens after that? Well, you can kind of see the wheels turning, right? Like they're committed to play a year in Brantford, Brantford potentially getting an OHL team longer term. And so you can kind of see how these things might shake out. And these, this group that bought the team has made no bones about the fact that yes, we would like to see it back in Kitchener. And if you notice, they've, brought in a few folks to run that the hockey ops right now one of whom is Todd Hoffman has a bit of history in in the, with the Kitchener Dutchman and the Barley Siskins but clearly uh known in this market and knows the junior B loop and can, knows how to run a program there so you can start to see the the machinations going on there but I think the one thing that's pretty pretty certain for fans of that team is you're probably going to see a little better product than you did last year Jerry Skrypek, good buddy, is going to be there as, uh, well, I shouldn't out him like that. It's not like we drink beer together, but I know him well from around the league. He's going to be the coach. And Mike Krushelniski is somehow going to be an advisor. I don't know how these guys, like, I know a couple of these guys that made the purchase of the Bandits. They did not tell me they knew Mike Krushelniski when they were doing this. So, anyway, I it kind of in some ways, Dan, isn't it? Isn't it like every kids dream really along with hoisting the stanley cup someday and we all probably did that playing pickup in our driveways at some point as kids in this country but to think you know when you get a little bit older you start getting into uh, you know hockey pools or doing some fantasy sports you're like oh yeah we, we should own a hockey team it's it's the latest equivalent of we should start a band or something like that yeah and you know it, it intrigued me when i was reading that story till i got down to the part where they said even this junior b franchise was around five hundred thousand dollars so I'm not sure I'll, I'll, I might need to find a new place to sleep tonight if I told my wife I sold the house so I could buy a junior B team, but, uh, but it has crossed my mind. I'll say that. It's a good time to remind you that sponsorship opportunities exist on this podcast for a mere 500, less than 500,000. Just send us an email, ohlpodcast at rogers.com. The other thing about the bandits, and I know these guys know going in, but not a single winning season to the franchise's history to date. So, the guys from the region of Waterloo can only go up from here, I suppose. 
Yeah. Well, and you were joking about the sponsorships on this podcast, but I was going to say $500,000 got you two wins. So, I mean, we're, we're close. We're only two wins behind them on this podcast. So it's, it's good value for your money, but, uh, but yeah, things, it, it's serious business, even at the junior B level, if you don't put in a serious effort, you're, you're going to just take it on the chin night after night. All right. I said, as this podcast began that we have an episode rich sort of off season podcast with so much to talk about. I even made notes, Dan, you can't see them on camera, but they're written down in front of me. Did I miss anything that I was supposed to touch on? I'll let you be my, uh, my check and balance here. I don't think I missed one. Did I miss anything? I don't think so. We had a, uh, we had a lot of content pop up over the last week, but I think, I think you nailed it, Mike. This is good. So we have one more of these episodes coming before the summer. And that will, of course, be our post-draft episode where we talk about the OHLers that went and where they went. And oh, yeah, as that draft is coming up, you need a preview from the OHL podcast. So, you know, that is part of this week's episode as well. We told you it was content rich and the richest of that content is still to come. So as we look ahead, you and I have been talking prospects all season long, our favorite prospects. We just highlighted our top three a week ago. As you consider the OHLers whose names we will be hearing, where do you want to start? Well, there are some intriguing names. I will be honest and say probably not as strong in a year for the OHL as we're accustomed to. Um, not a lot of names teasing the top end of that draft. Probably the only one that has even an outside chance of, of falling to that top 10 to 15 is Colby Barlow. And I'll be very interested to see where he goes. I think there's all kinds of upside there. I don't think you can go wrong with him after you get to about 10, 11 in that draft. So it'll be very interesting to see if NHL teams agree with me. And then you've got a couple wild cards there too. Uh, obviously Quinton Musty, you got Oliver Bonk. You've got a few names that could creep into that uh, first round. Maybe even your boy Nick Lardis is an outside chance despite being ranked down mid-second. So we always see a few surprises in that NHL draft when it gets beyond about 12 or 15. And I expect that you might hear a surprise name leap up either late first or early second from this OHL group. So I don't know if this is staking my reputation on it or not. I'll remind you now I went eight for eight in the first round of the playoffs predictions this year. So I don't think I'm on too unsteady a limb when I say Barlow and Bonk will both be heard in the first round this weekend. Is that, do you think that's too much? Am I pushing my luck on that? No, uh, I'll give you the only little bit of limited Intel I have from the financial <laughs> scouting community. And I know that, that, Scouts are a little bit mixed on Bonk from the standpoint they're not sure how much uh, the, the off they're not sure how high the offensive ceiling is there and uh, he's ranked on uh, if you amalgamate lists look at Bob McKenzie's ranking which is pretty pretty solid every year you're looking at that 26 to 30 range for Bonk and I expect that's exactly where he'll go as a right D with some pedigree family pedigree there I think that's probably where you'll fall so I wouldn't be shocked to see him go anywhere from the last few picks of the first round, the first couple of second. The other guy I still think, Mike, I, I got to feel sneaks into that first round is Quentin Musty. I, I feel like too many teams like him and like what he brings to the table to fall out of the top 32. So 
I'm if I'm going out on a limb, I'm predicting that Quinton Musty goes somewhere between 18 and 25. I'm glad you mentioned Bob McKenzie, former guest on this podcast. And obviously anybody that follows junior hockey or hockey in general knows uh, the original insider. Do you remember, was it, was it just last year or two years ago? I'm pretty sure it was just last year that Bob McKenzie tweeted out every team's pick before they made it. So it'd be like LA's up next and Bob would tweet who they're about to pick. And he was right every time. I think he did that for the first 15 picks last year or the season before, but anyway, that's how well connected he is. So if, if he's got bonk in that 26 to 30 range, I feel pretty good with him in the first round. I hear where you're coming from on Musty, and I think that's a great way to look at him. I don't know if dark horse is the right word or wild card. There's a lot to like about the game. Maybe not the skating, but there's so much skill there that it can be really tantalizing. And it's interesting then. We talk about Barlow, Bonk, Musty, and we haven't mentioned Callum Ritchie yet. Coming into the season, of course, we all thought, I think anyway, it was going to be the Barlow and Richie show and see who showed better and would end up going higher. But obviously the Callum Richie experience was derailed by the fact that I'm not sure he played healthy all season. No. And actually thank you for pointing that out. Cause there's, there's a couple names that, that are really shaking up the scouting community. One of one of them is Callum Ritchie. So coming into the season, you mentioned Barlow and Ritchie. There's a third name I'd throw in there that was top of the heap, which was Cam Allen of the Gulf Storm. And the three of them were kind of seen as potential top 10 picks. Obviously things didn't go completely according to plan for, for Cam Allen this year or for Callum Ritchie based on health. He's a predict, Callum Ritchie is a prediction that I'm having trouble making, Mike, because consensus is that he's fallen somewhere to the 25 to 35 range for this draft but all it takes is one team to still see the potential there see the the high-end value he brought at those u18s and previous team canon u17 and just say you know this guy's a player and he could sneak into the top 20 so i'm definitely not ruling out callum rich as a first rounder either we know cam allen that ship has sailed on him he'll probably be second late second early third at this point maybe um but yeah you're right Callum Ritchie was right at the top of the heap going into this season and really it was health that that dropped him a few notches when you mentioned Cam Allen anybody watching on our YouTube channel would have seen me throw my head back and almost laugh it's not at Cam Allen's expense don't get me wrong but when I was saying by way of introduction to this part of the talk that next week's going to be fun because then we're going to see where the OHLers went and who went higher or lower than we expected. I thought of Cam Allen then because a season ago, a completely different story. The decline this season for Cam Allen has been rather precipitous. And I don't disagree at all with your assessment, late second, early third for a guy that looked like he might be a shoe in for top 10. So a, a rough season for Cam Allen. While I bring that up, why don't I throw this other somewhat of an enigma into the mix here and a guy that we know pretty well with the Kitchener Rangers and that's Carson Rakoff. Carson Rakoff, I will tell you, you can call me biased if you want, but it is my opinion that Carson Rakoff is exactly the kind of player that NHL teams love at this age. He's got the right size. He's obviously got the skill. He presents the complete package he just doesn't do it consistently, but because he's got like that shot when he came into the Ontario hockey league was a pro ready shot. Skating's not bad. Size is good. He's all the things you want, but a lot of times when you watch him, 
you're left wanting. And so there was a, there was a burst of time, I'll say maybe 10 or 12 games at one point. I remember midway through the season that it looked like Carson Rakoff had had it all figured out. If you saw him for those 10 or 12 games, you're thinking this guy might go a high second, but if you saw him, some of the other 10 or 12 game stretches, you're thinking this guy might be much lower than that. I won't even, cause I'm not trying to embarrass the kid, but that's the reality for me around Carson Rakoff. What I think is going to happen is we'll be talking uh, next week on this podcast about who took them where and wondering how much value they think they got. There's a lot there to tantalize you with Carson Rakoff, but I think there are some other things that make you say, you gotta be careful where are you going to pick them? But if you're worried about somebody else taking them before it's your next turn, who knows where Carson Rakoff ends up going? Oh, outstanding analysis, Mike, because that's ex- nail on the head with Carson Rakoff. You look at the size, I would say this game is very good. The shot... 100% NHL ready. So you think, well, why isn't this guy a first round pick? But then you look at, you talked about consistency to compete. And I know for a fact, the NHL teams have really done a lot of work over the last few years to evaluate hockey IQ. And we know Carson Rakoff isn't always the most creative defensively. He had an uptick this year, got better as the year went on. But sometimes the decision-making isn't always there. Sometimes the reads aren't always there. That what we term hockey IQ is questionable. And I know that's hit the scouting community. So you usually see him ranked somewhere between 30 and 45 for this draft. What I look for there is I look for a team like the Arizona Coyotes who have a bucket full of picks. Uh, teams like that to maybe say, well, okay, we can work with this. He's not a sure shot, but we've got enough picks. We could get a real home run here. Uh, but when I look at the OHL and I look at the kid like uh, Denver Barkey, for instance, and you've got a choice between the two, are you taking the one where there's some question marks, but the the physical tools are better or are you taking a kid who just compete, compete, compete and gets results throughout and kind of put the team on his back. So I don't know for me, if I'm an NHL team with one pick hanging there, it's between the two, I might be leaning Denver Barkey based on what I saw, but I, I look, like I said, I look for those teams that have multiple picks that say, look at what you described with Carson Rakoff and say, we might hit a home run here in the second round. When you mention the Arizona Coyotes, I feel it necessary to mention that they just acquired from the LA Kings, Sean Dersey, former Owen Sound attack. So we'll throw that in there. Uh, there is a quartet of defensemen I wanted to just mention kind of as a group, but anybody else you wanted to highlight from the OHL as you look ahead to Friday, Dan? There's a couple. The only one I'll throw out, because I can't, I can't mention one without the other, but i got to give a nod to Easton Cowan as well, because there's compete, compete, compete. And I, I guarantee you an NHL team is going to see that and and take a chance on him earlier than he's ranked. As soon as you mentioned Barky, I thought of Cowan right away. Bonk, we've already talked about. And I'll tell you the reason I, I feel more confident of saying first round pick. They all are coming. Bonk, Barky, Cowan from the same program. And we've talked a lot. And I know... There are fans in 19 OHL cities just rolling their eyes at us right now, but maybe the truth hurts. (laughs) We know not only the connections that the Hunters have in the National Hockey League, but what they've been able to do. That is a pipeline into the National Hockey League from Budweiser Gardens, and they know how to develop players or at least, you know, create those connections. There have been guys that have gone from London way higher than I ever thought they would. I'm not going to be fooled again. So those three guys, Barky, Cow, and Bonk, just consider where they're coming from. And then when you hear their names called on Friday night, you'll be like, oh yeah, they played in London. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it is what it is. Mike, it's a factory there. And you see picks every year from them because people are confident 
scouts are confident, NHL teams are confident that whoever came through that program got effective training. And, and the two we just referenced in Barkley and Cowan, you look no further than their development from the start of the year to the end. And what they were doing at the end of the year, they were noticeable on every shift in every game. And when you're an NHL scout, you're taking note of that in a real hurry and saying a 17-year-old kid that's an impact player on every shift. Uh, so that that's what London's doing for these players. And, and you can't go re- – you're going to take a chance on a kid coming out of the London Knights program over a kid in another program. If it's basically a tie on your notes, that's, that's the kind of point I'm getting at. When we did our three top three favorite prospects in our last episode a week ago, you and I both kind of went a little bit more out of the box with one of our selections. I went uh, Hunter Brustevich. You went Andrew Gibson from the Sioux. Those are two of the, sorry, Brustevich from the Rangers. Of course, those are two of the four defensemen, that I expect to hear called this weekend, Bo Aiki and Tristan Bertucci, Bo from the Barry Colts and Bertucci from the Flint Firebirds. I would also expect to hear their names come up on Friday and or Saturday. Well, Saturday, because Friday's only the first round. Yeah. And like, like I said, like when we referenced how this is maybe a little bit of a soft year for the OHL in terms of high end first round talent, I think you're going to get a boatload of them going the second, early third. And the four names you just mentioned, I'm struggling to pick what order I think they're going, but I don't think Hunter Hunter Brustevich is going to last very long just with the skating on him and the reads and the way he quarterbacked. I expect him to actually go relatively early in that second round. Uh, the other three for sure, second round talents all day. Uh, and, and even I'll even throw another interesting name in there as a, as a bit of a, a late draft, but what about Rodwin Dionisio out of, out of Windsor who has oodles of talent and just the way he sets up plays and and gains the zone deceptive to to find openings to teammates i mean the offensive tools are off the charts with him the question is can the skating get there and can the defensive awareness get there maybe he's a forward at the nhl level but uh, there's another name i'm going to throw at you mike it's going to be interesting for me on wednesday night and thursday with the nhl draft as he might he might go a little higher than people are thinking you know what that is uh that is excellent uh by way of wild card dark horse because i remember dionisio and when uh when it, i i don't remember him early in the season i don't know if he was hurt or if i just didn't notice him in the games i was watching but the first time i noticed him in a lineup i thought where was this guy like was i asleep the last time i watched the spitz play so lots of fun lots of up there's a guy that you might look at as a bit of raw material that you can mold into what you want uh in the pros but that's a that's an excellent choice and i'll be definitely listening for that name as well a couple of others look i won't pump nick lardis's tires any more than i have all season long but i will say this as far as cam allen has dropped i think lardis has accelerated he had such a terrific second half showing what he can do with opportunity i expect to hear from him or hear his name called and then let's not overlook quinton burns over in kingston i think that's a name that we should be aware of heading into the draft and and yeah thank you for the reminder because i mentioned him as a prospect of the week later in the season and there's a guy, I know it feels like we're saying this about a lot of guys at this point, but there's a guy who I actually could see potentially being the top drafted OHL defenseman this year. And largely based on the U18 he had, he was phenomenal before he got hurt. Um, carried a heavy load for Kingston this year on a younger D squad. Just looked a year or two older than he was. And I think a lot of NHL scouts took note the way he picks up speed rounding the net gets smoothly transitions that puck up ice. It's, it's a very pro game. And I will not be shocked 
if Quentin Burns is the first OHL defense name called, well, probably Oliver Bonk, but he might not be far behind. Okay, yeah, I think Bonk probably goes without saying at this point would be the first D called from the OHL, but Quinton Burns belongs in a conversation as well. And one other guy I wanted to highlight, he's somebody that we talked about through the season, our Western Conference bias notwithstanding, but we liked a lot of the young kids in Erie and Kerry Terrance is one of them. And what makes his story all the more special is that he's looking to represent the Mohawk Nation in the National Hockey League, should it come to pass that he gets drafted later this week. And he will. And uh, I'll note that he was the only OHLer to make the American under 18 squad, which is really telltale of how he's thought of in those circles. Loved him all year. I thought just competed every night, uh, brings a lot of pro tools. And I think Kerry Terrance is going to hear his name called in the top half of that draft as well. And great, great choice. It's been a favorite of mine all year. And if I could throw one more name at you, Mike, there's, there's one I want to throw as a, this is totally my bias coming in, but as a Montreal Canadiens fan, I'm hoping that they find a way to call the name Florian Jackeye somewhere lower in that draft. Cause <laughs> I know there's a long way to go for him to, to catch up to where his brother's at as an NHL player with the skating and some other issues, but has, has some hands, has some grit. Uh, showed a lot for those Hamilton Bulldogs this year. So I'm thinking with one of those 11 picks you have in this draft, uh, Mr. Hughes, find a way to call uh, Arbor's little brother if you can. Could you imagine that? I mean, it'd be a hell of a story. It wasn't even on my radar, but I can see why you'd say that. And obviously, these are National Hockey League teams, not fantasy teams. But there's, you know, there's at least a case you could make with those 11 picks. Oh, for sure. Because once you get down into the sixth, seventh round, you're basically taking flyers. If you've got a few picks, like, why wouldn't you take a shot on a guy who has has some tools you can work with and has a brother who demonstrated what you can do in a short span of time with uh, work ethic and, and just some determination, um, same bloodline. So I, I would think that would be a fairly low risk pick for them actually in those depth rounds. Okay. Well, we'll see how things play out. This is what I think we all wait for aside from the playoffs and Memorial cups. If you're a fan of junior hockey, you love seeing where the players that you watched all season long go in the NHL draft, you know that you project them yourself. That's why you're a fan at this level. And then you figure out where they're going to go next and who you might cheer for at the next level if you follow the player or the team that they go to. But that's my favorite part for sure. I like playing amateur scout. I like seeing if my you know, analysis of certain players is on point or off based on what the pro teams do. So it'll be a fun week for sure. Yeah. And, you know, Mike, maybe it's just getting older. Uh, I've loved the draft since I was a kid. The draft's arguably my favorite day of the year, despite all the hockey that's played. Um, so I just love it. But I think as I get older, the thing that's changed for me is I just am so thrilled for the these kids that get drafted. I mean, everything they've done, everything they've worked for, everything their families have put in, everyone that surrounded them to hear their names called for the NHL draft has just got to be. And I know they always say the work starts there. That's the beginning of the journey, not the end. But wow, for me, it would feel like the end. That's that's amazing just to get to that point. So to everyone that's going to hear their name called Wednesday and Thursday, I mean, big congratulations. So are you are you telling me now that I've become the guy that needs the box of tissue for Hallmark commercials and you're the guy that needs the box of tissue when you're watching the draft? Is that what you're telling me? Sounds like it. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes <laughs> when you hear some of these backstories, I mean, you can go back and, and watch a few of them. But when you hear, you know, there's some some single moms out there that have raised these kids, some, some, just some phenomenal stories for these guys that have made it through. And, uh, 
And you know, you see it, Mike, around the rinks, how hard these guys have to work and how committed they have to be just to get a sniff at being drafted. So it's, it's, it's a big day for these kids, and that's what we all watch for. All right. Thanks for correcting the record on the Wednesday and Thursday. I don't know why I had Friday in my head for some reason. That'll be our next episode of the OHL podcast and our feature guest. This one's going to be a lot of fun because we're going to be talking to a scout and what better time to talk to a scout than as the draft is happening. So you'll get some of his analysis, but more than anything, like I often talk about the people that I run into around the Ontario Hockey League as a second family, because we're all traveling the same roads, working the same ridiculous hours and drinking the same bad arena coffee day after day after day. And the scouts are definitely included in that. They're a fun bunch to be around. We shoot a lot of bull and, and do a lot of talking over the course of a season. And so you're going to get some of that insight uh, from our feature guest in the Friday episode. So it should be a lot of fun. Yeah, I love talking to the scouting community there. I mean, there's a lot of, oh, you see that now? You're crazy. There's no way. What about this guy? And there's there's a lot of that that goes on. Um, and what I will say about anyone who's ever scouted professionally or, or amateurly, amateurly like we do, Mike, everyone's got a, a massive fish story and then one that they never tell that was a complete failure. We've all got both ends. So anyone that claims they've hit on everything they've ever said in the scouting community is a liar. Our scout will admit because in fairness, we're, we've recorded before the draft, uh, will admit to a draft year that he wishes he could just forget all about. So that's the kind of honesty you're getting in our feature interview coming up on Friday. Dan and I will come back one more time after the draft to break things down, and then we'll have one more episode before the summer break. So hope you'll stick with us for some post-draft analysis. And please remember, Give us a like, subscribe, give us a rating, write a review, send an email anytime, ohlpodcast at rogers.com. He's Dan Mahar on Twitter at Dan Mahar. I'm Mike Farwell on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL. And this is the source for OHL Hockey Online, the OHL Podcast. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.